Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us for the CAPPC Podcast Academy, where we discuss key mental health care strategies and issues for primary care. This is a project of CAPPC, which is a component of Project TEACH, supported by the New York State Office of Mental Health. Remember to find out more about this and other important primary care mental health topics. Visit our website at www.capppcny.org. Um, so just a, as always, a little uh, clinical disclaimer. Uh, keep in mind that this discussion does not constitute any medical advice and is more education, guidance, those kinds of things. So let, let's move into a little bit of a more clinical sphere here. Um, I think one of the biggest challenges that comes up in working with uh, trans teens, trans kids, is the you know, logistics. You know, how do you talk to staff? Uh, how do you talk to clinicians that are, you know, rooming these patients about, you know, preferred pronouns, using appropriate names? Do you have any thoughts on that? So I think, uh, first off, mistakes are going to be made. Um, I think that's one thing um, as providers trying to accommodate these people um, in your practice are it's, it's a trial and error situation is, you know, uh, you're going to slip up and use a, a pronoun of their uh, their natal birth um, gender uh, once you right. apologize and you kind of move on you educate your staff uh, you know I think I like to maybe believe in the goodness of people and I think that it comes from a lack of understanding and not necessarily from a, uh, an area of transphobia but recognizing right. that it's really actually beneficial to ask what someone's preferred pronoun is because there are people who actually don't want a gendered pronoun at all they prefer they and their so right, right. you know being a being a learner a curious learner about your your patient ultimately is going to serve them and you and your practice well mm -hmm. you know I, I think that that concept you led with this idea that it's okay to make mistakes that, that's really a powerful one too I, I think folks that are going through these experiences and potentially these transitions are quite forgiving and understanding that this is a challenging situation and, and transition for family members and people, other people in their lives as well. I think it's just, that, but they very much notice if you're making the effort. Yeah, yeah. So, and then how about even just logistically? I mean, uh, I don't think there's really a way in most electronic medical records to, to change the gender. How have you approach that in your clinical settings or any advice for PCPs? So one of the really nice things I have, and I think this is actually um, somewhat uh, doable based on the you know prevalence of uh, electronic medical records now, um, if I'm kind of going from a start to finish, when I'm having a, a new client who identifies as trans or gender fluid or whatnot, uh, when I first do their screening on the phone, I ask them, you know, what's your preferred name and your preferred pronoun? And then um, I make a point uh, to have my staff know um, how to address this person when they come. Great. And then in our EMR, um, we actually, uh, there's a group that um, we have here at uh, SUNY Upstate that um, works on this exact thing. And we actually made it so the people, we use Epic, um, the people here have a spot for preferred name. Um, uh -huh. So we, you now can search um, these patients by their their birth name or uh, their chosen name. It doesn't even have to be legally changed. They okay. they have a chosen name option, and they'll show up. And uh, it you know it allows a, a reminder to staff. Um, the difficult thing is with the EMR, you can't you can't change the natal gender in here. Right, right. And I think most people are in that boat as well. Yep. 
you know, just just to add a slightly different perspective, uh, I'm in a bunch of practices with I think slightly less advanced, you know, EHRs and Epic. And what we've done is create alerts. Uh, so you know, the the first screen that pops up when you pull up a patient's record, and that sort of says uh, patient's preferred name is and prefers to be referred to as he, you know, for example. Excellent. Um, and I think again with that. It, it demonstrates effort to your patient and their family, but also to your staff, that this is something that we care about and we're trying to make a good full faith effort in yeah. to make this person feel comfortable. Yep. So how about when we move into the nitty gritty, you know, uh, you, know you have a, a trans, let's say, male patient in front of you, they're really beginning to experience some significant, you know, mood symptoms. Um, what do you think is a good way of approaching that with that patient, with that family? So I like to kind of take a, a multimodal approach at things. I like to do, in psychiatry, we're always looking at biopsychosocial formulations. So I kind of like to have an intervention in each of those frames. So biologically, you're saying a trans man, so this is a, a natal uh, female patient. Is this person, uh, are they looking to start hormone, uh, gender-affirming hormone therapy? Are they looking to... Uh, just get a referral somewhere? Are they looking to sort of table things depending on the age? Are they looking to do hormone blockers? Um, and then, you know, kind of always remembering too uh, in that biological modality that it, technically since they are a natal female, they still have to have uh, women's health follow-up too in addressing those concerns. Right. Um, and then if I'm going into the psychological, that's sort of where I come in, um, you know, providing uh, psychotherapy, if there is, uh, you know, a comorbid uh, psychiatric issue going on, such as depression and anxiety, appropriately intervening with that with therapy and or medication. Um, and then from the social aspect, uh, referring these kids and their parents to local support groups. I think one of the big things that's scary is I think a lot of providers don't know what's in the community. Right. So honestly, <laughs> this is a shout out for Google. Uh, just Google it, <laughs> um, honestly, because these, yeah, these things yeah. will show up. Um, even in small communities, I've been able to find things for kids to go to. So can I be very concrete here? What yeah. do you actually Google? What are your search terms? So I Google transgender support services and then whatever county the kid is Their in, county. actually. Okay. Yep. You know, and going back to the psychological support, I, I, I think we're all in understanding that it may be difficult to provide, you know, trans-specific psychotherapy yeah. in a primary care setting. I think for the primary care clinician, it's about being supportive, inquisitive, and I think some of those, you know, mental health first aid kinds of skills, making sure that they're, you know, doing their behavioral activation, they're staying socially connected, yep. um, they're taking good care of themselves. And I think the other sort of big part of that is making sure they're staying or getting connected and staying connected with their psychological support services. Exactly, exactly. Do we have to think about medications and things differently because they're considering transition, because they are transitioning? So I think in general, uh, I always kind of look at things. Uh, I do split it apart a little bit. I think that if you have... Uh, a patient who's depressed or anxious and there is indication for pharmacologic intervention, uh, you realistically should, you know, not be denying that because of some concern about legitimacy of symptoms, etc. cetera. Um, but that being okay. said, um, you know, there's not really um, transgender specific uh, treatment uh, parameters for using uh, medication for depression or anxiety or any of the other comorbid things they may be dealing sure. with.
It sounds like that, you know, if that's something that you think would have been helpful for this teen if they weren't transitioning or considering this, you should think about it for this trans teen. Correct. Yep. Yeah. And I think the other thing, just kind of in that same vein, uh, although the endocrinologists and docs who are giving the hormones, if this person is on gender affirming hormone therapy, they're very, you know, there's a very fine uh, algorithm for, for titrating these. You do have to recognize that there are some, you know, mood and behavioral changes that come along with a puberty. This is an artificial puberty, but right. um, so there is going to be an ebb and flow in things. It's a little bit more controlled because um, it's coming from um, an exogenous source, but, you know, there are going to be ups and downs potentially. Right. Um, and then, you know, when you're not sure where to send somebody, where to go, any thoughts about that next first step? So I think uh, when you're kind of, uh, when it feels like the, the situation becomes too much for you in, in your primary care um, office to handle, it's very similar uh, referrals to how you would do with other complex cases. You, you would call the CAT-PC number. Um, we would try to That's help right. you out. Our liaison, yep, our liaison coordinators uh, can help um, find services. It may not be trans-specific, depending on the uh, you know uh, location you're in, but at least getting this kid hooked up into um, a mental health provider, um, you can get that ball rolling um, in regards to um, providers that do gender-affirming uh, hormone treatment. You can find that online through um, Googling. You can find it on WPATH, um, depending on where you are. Ooh, what's WPATH? Folks might ah, want to know that. Yes. So WPATH is a fun name for the World Professional Association for Transgender Health. It's got a really nice booklet. I believe you can actually access it online, even if you aren't a paying member um, yeah. of the standards of care. It's in a nice PDF form. Um, and probably fair to say these are our kind of global standards of care for yep. uh, kids and adults that are, you know, experiencing uh, transgender uh, issues, challenges, transitions. Yeah. And one of the big pushes, you know, uh, you just kind of gave me a little bit of a springboard here to think we were talking about how to make referrals for mental health. But, you right. know, one of the, the standards of care for trans individuals is you really shouldn't be depriving them of gender affirming uh, treatment, meaning you should be looking for referrals in your area for endocrinologists, for adolescent medicine doctors, for other facilities that do um, hormone administration if that's what your your patient is seeking. It's not just enough to say, well, I don't know if this is real um, because it's a very real experience to them and, you know, mm. that that is uh, actually detrimental to withhold. Right. And I think just to add my piece, I think the clinical consensus is across multiple specialties that this is not something that we can just sit on. Exactly. When folks are experiencing these issues, we really do need to move forward on trying to understand their situation, move move them towards appropriate treatment. Yeah, and you know, that's that's the big uh, caveat between gender nonconformity and transgender. Right. Gender dysphoria, you know, there's a there's a sit and wait on it potentially, recognize that it's normative, and then there's a you really need to act because it's your duty to this person. Absolutely. Um, one of the things I feel like primary care folks have to do quite a bit is navigate this growing tension that's normative between adolescents and parents, specifically for uh, kids and adolescents that are considering transitioning and, and trans issues. Do you have any advice for 
primary care docs that are working with parents that are unsure, the parents are skeptical, maybe the parents are coming from a place where they, quote unquote, you know, don't believe it. How can the primary care docs help those parents better understand and, you know, what's going on with their child? I think, uh, you know, schedules are very tight, but I think having yeah. a session uh, with the parents to, you know, understand where they're coming from uh, clarifying things because if you're relying on just the teen's report, it's obviously going to be swayed. If you're relying on just the parents, it's going to be swayed. So being able to synthesize uh, right. the, the two parts to the experience is one thing. And then in addition, you know, those transgender supports thing that I suggested people Google, there are ones for parents also. For parents just for themselves. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. You know, and, and I think that, again, you, you mentioned, you know, that there are major time constraints in primary care, this may not be that issue that can be addressed in just that one or two in one, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We may be having to have this family come in a number of times, you know, okay, this one's a little bit more with the child, this one's a little more with parents, right? and slowly moving them along that uh, kind of understanding of what's happening. Right. Wonderful. Well, any, any closing thoughts? Anything you want to make sure that primary care clinicians are keeping in mind when it comes to the general health status for these kids and adolescents with transgender, transgender issues? I think the, the end uh, recommendation I always give is, uh, although trans teens are having a different experience than cisgendered teens, they are still struggling with the same issues that uh, teenagers uh, struggle with all throughout their developmental period. Um, sure. So being uh, aware that it's it's a more complex situation and making sure that you're building a team around yourself as best you can. You're reaching out when you have questions. Uh, and that might even be just reaching out to the kid or their family. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. families have different understandings of how things are going too. But then ultimately... Uh, your duty to the patient means if you're feeling uncomfortable, reach out. Um, like I had said earlier, reach out to Cat PC if you're having questions, even about depression or anxiety that might be comorbid um, with these kids. Uh, that's what th we're here for. Um, and then just being really aware of the resources in your community. You know, I think it's quick to say, oh, well, I haven't seen many of these kids, so there can't be resources, but there are resources. Right, and sometimes it may be a challenge in helping to locate those, but we can help. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Well, thank you, Dr. McMaster, for your thoughts and guidance on this important and challenging issue, and thank you to all who are listening. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Uh, you've been listening to the CAPPC Podcast Academy. If you're interested, check out the website to learn more about our program. Join us again next time.